Um, and then once she thinks, yeah, this could be the one, she'll like haul herself up. Like you said, they're not very graceful. They leave massive tracks. Um, and they're looking out for several things. So it can't be very rocky. Mm-hmm. She can start digging and change her mind. Maybe the pH is off. She doesn't like that. Maybe the moisture's off. Maybe the temperature's off. She can tell all these things from sensors in her neck. In today's episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast, I'm joined by Becky, who's a marine conservationist and a sea turtle lover. We talk about all things sea turtles and her experience with working with loggerhead sea turtles in Greece. We talk about their mating, we talk about them laying eggs, what impacts the sex of a turtle, how plastic on beaches and tourism impacts turtle population numbers, how COVID has been beneficial to sea turtle numbers, and where turtles go once they leave the beach. As always, I would like to thank all of you guys for listening, commenting, sending me emails, or joining the Facebook group Ocean Pancake Podcast, just because it's a great place for all of us ocean lovers to chat and share stories and experiences. If there's anyone you'd like to hear me interview, please let me know. Send me an email on oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you want to support my work, then you could get yourself a Plastic Is The Killer t-shirt. Just head on over to the Ocean Pancake Podcast website so oceanpancake.com for all things there as well as more information about living an eco-friendly life sea turtles and much much more every day there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean whether it's the plastic issue overfishing pollution if the oceans die we die Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today, I have Becky here with me, who is a marine conservationist and a massive turtle lover. And of course, this episode is all about turtles. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, Now, you reached out to me that you have a love for turtles and that you had experience working with them. So tell us your story. How did you get involved with working with sea turtles? So it started when I was just a tiny human. My parents would take us to the sea all the time. They're divers, so they had a lot to give. Um, And that's where we kind of have like a family obsession with the coast. So I always knew all the way through school what I wanted to do I wanted to go to uni I wanted to save the seas and it's not as simple as that but um, I did a a degree in marine biology with biodiversity and conservation um, at Anglia Ruskin and I just loved it but I just thought I'm going to need some experience before I finish my degree I took a volunteer year in the middle some people call it a sandwich year but I did a few different volunteering (laughs) things (laughs) Um, I just couldn't choose like a favorite so I had to do so many. What did you do? Um, 
I worked with the RSPB at one of their um, wetland conservation areas in Weymouth. Um, so I worked in a museum for a while because it was local to me, the Oxford Museum of Natural History. Um, and I just love getting everyone excited about science. I'm like a big nerd. So that was, <laughs> that was so well, We have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had this opportunity to do something um, for a month at the end. And I got my partner involved and I was like, we're going to do some loggerhead turtle conservation in Greece. And he was like, mm, okay, because he's a mathematician. But we jumped in. We did that for the first year and we were involved in the nesting and hatching season. And it was addictive. Like the year after we did it again in nesting season and we got asked to come back as leaders the following year. And that was just last year. So we lived in Catalonia in Greece for a few months um, where we were field assistants with Wildlife Sense. And that is the, the pure passion where everyone gets their passion from there. It's <laughs> well, what is the nesting now? season, the, the uh, laying and nesting season in Greece? When does that happen? The mating season starts in May to June, roughly. Um, it kind of comes and goes when they fancy, but May to June is pretty reliable. Um, July to August is nesting, and then after that is hatching. And they can hatch up till October. It's quite rare that they'll go into October, but it does happen. Um, but the nests take longer to incubate because it's colder. The storms really affect the beaches there. So sometimes nests can get completely washed away. They have these beaches that don't have a lot of structural integrity. So just one massive storm and whoosh, mm -hmm. um, that's a beach gone. But it can come back the next year. Oh, that's a massive shame. So does that happen often where like turtles go and nest on a beach and then a storm happens or something and then all those nests are lost? It's happened so that the, um, in my experience anyway, so that the beach gets completely flooded. Um, but because we are checking those beaches at least once daily, we can go out there and we can save those eggs. Like we have these big um, like water cooler boxes um just like you'd put your picnic mm -hmm. in you guys call them eskies right yeah <laughs> <laughs> or chili <laughs> bins if you're from new zealand <laughs> i like that so much um we put the eggs in there we make sure we keep them the same direction because they're already starting to face up when they're developing inside we put them in there in the right order that we got them out of and then we try and find either another beach if it has to be or a safer part of the beach where we don't think they're going to get it washed away and we try and replicate that exact shape if if half of the shape of the nest is gone because it's been washed away that's okay we kind of have rough dimensions depending on how many eggs there are because it needs to be very specific dimensions mm -hmm. so we try and curve our hands like turtle flippers and try and get those eggs in there as soon as possible to keep them warm but they have been very successful like even though some of them have been completely in water when we found them, we've still had a good success rate. So, Oh, really? Because yeah. yeah, I heard that they drown relatively quickly. So um, in when I lived in the Comoros, I had to relocate a couple of turtle nests because the turtle laid it too, um, too close to the tide line, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. The locals there were telling me about how 
they move all these nests. And in Australia, it's very common practice to actually move the nests into the dunes uh, just because mm -hmm. of the amount of people and cars that drive on the beaches just to keep the turtles safe. But in, um, in the Comoros, it was to avoid the tide line. And they said, oh, I cannot remember the statistic now, but that it was like a very low hatching rate. Like if, if the eggs are underwater for more than three minutes or something, that it was like 20% or something. Oh, wow. We, so with what we've found so far, um, maybe because, I don't know, a lot of our water came from the water table, so we had to keep an eye on the rain, but mm -hmm. we found we had at least 50% success rate um, if they've been in there for less than a couple of hours. So we're always keeping an eye on the weather. And even if we're going out at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the evening, pitch black, then that's what we're going to do. So I think usually quite on the ball, but we have like an hour's grace, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's quite good. Maybe because it's also fresh water. Who knows? Yeah, we, um, yeah, that's true. If it's from the water table, then it's going to be a lot less saline than, mm -hmm. than the sea. So interesting thought there. Oh, well, <laughs> I also wonder how different it is around the world. Um, so tell me, how, how does it happen in Greece? Um, is it mostly loggerheads? And how do they, do they come to the area beforehand to mate? How does the process happen? So um, my experience is just with Catalonian loggerheads or Mediterranean loggerheads. They're mm -hmm. very different from Atlantic. They're kind of like a subspecies. They haven't mated between those populations in like 12,000 years. So they're kind of a bit kooky, but they're not too dissimilar from the rest of the turtles. So what they do is they're eating mostly around North of Africa mm -hmm. all around the year. And then they come to Catalonia or the Mediterranean to mate. Um, that's in about May or June and I can tell you this so before I get like so into it I just want to remind everyone that turtle brains are so small they're like the size of a walnut or two. Oh, really? and that's for a mature <clears throat> individual and so all these things that they have to decide or they do is just incredible so um, males can mate every year, but females only mate every two to three years. Um, we think that might be to do with diet and food availability. You know, the females have got to get a lot more energy up than the males do for what they have to do for mating. Mm -hmm. So when it comes down to the real thing, it's plastron to plastron or belly to belly. Um, if you ever see a male on the back of the female, that's her being like, this is not happening. You are not the genetic prime I'm looking for. Wait, if you see um, them what? So if the male's on the back of the female, nothing's happening. Oh, really? It might be happening, but yeah, that's nothing is happening there. They have to be plastron to plastron. Is so that all species? Do you know what? I, th I feel like it must be, right? Because of the anatomy, it can't be too different. But <clears throat> yeah, it seems, it seems to make sense. Because I've seen like several piled up on top of the poor female. I also read that they sometimes drown the female because there's like four of them climbing onto the back and some of the males are biting the other uh, males' flippers and it gets pretty violent. <laughs> it's so ferocious. If you see what you think could be like fish slapping the water in the distance, so often it's like turtles just arguing over a female. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
yeah it's crazy but no that's her being like get off you're not the genetic material i'm looking for for my babies so i wonder how they know <laughs> they don't really take them out on a date or anything you know is it like pheromones or what is um because we know like the birds of paradise it's like how clean is their little courting area or how good is their dance like what do turtles do um to show their bible <laughs> there, there, there's so much um mystery to this part so we don't know whether it looks like maybe the males are ill or diseased or too young because in a lot of animals females tend to go for more mature mm -hmm. um, individuals they know they're experiencing that kind of thing they know genetically it's going to be more successful um so yeah that's still a huge mystery especially because reptiles are a bit more mysterious than mammals and birds which are like a lot more flamboyant yeah a lot easier to read <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's interesting how much we still don't know, even though we've been studying them for so long. Okay, so yeah. so the, the the turtles mate, so the female decides, for whatever yeah. reason, this this male, um, which has these massive tails, is a genetic match um, or a good yeah. partner. Um, what happens next? So the female can mate with up to four to five males, and she can keep that genetic material in her. So one clutch that she lays could have four to diff four or five different paternities so she's trying to make it as genetically diverse as possible which you know is great for the population we really want them to thrive and be as diverse as possible um two to six weeks later um we get to egg laying and nest making which is incredible i don't have you ever seen that thing before yeah, when they, they climb up on the beach, usually at dusk or throughout the night, um, mm -hmm. back in the Comoros, it was typically high tide, uh, and they would climb up and leave these massive tracks. So you can, that's usually how organizations count how many turtles have come up. And then they wander about, find a good spot, then they dig some decoy nests, and then they actually dig their real nest. <laughs> yeah. So they can also decoy camouflage as well. So animals think that they're going to dig under that camouflage, which has that wet um, sand that's been touching mm -hmm. her. So it really smells like turtle. Um, and they dig there and there's nothing there. And she is so crafty. And there's also like a few other things that the female looks out for. So her nest, she will stake out that beach for a couple of days. Um, and then once she thinks, yeah, this could be the one, she'll like, haul herself up like you said they're not very graceful they leave massive tracks um and they're looking out for several things so it can't be very rocky mm -hmm. she can start digging and change her mind maybe the ph is off she doesn't like that maybe the moisture's off maybe the temperature's off she can tell all these things from sensors in her neck so she can tell so many properties of the sand and if she thinks it's too wet or too hot or too cold or maybe a bit acidic, then she's going to get out of there before she lays her nest. Um, I didn't know that that's how they decided. I just thought, like, when I've seen um, the move away from a particular spot, there's been a very obvious reason why not, you know, either big rocks or sticks or a lot of trash accumulated on the beach, but I didn't realize that they were actually sensing the pH and all of that. Yeah, it's so in-depth. And it can also be all those things, too. They're very skittish because their lenses, their eye lenses, aren't adapted to seeing out of water 
it's kind of like smearing Vaseline or uh, like lip balm or something over your eyes for them. They're really skittish. So if they hear sound, um, it could just be from like a scrabbling animal. It could be like a rabbit or something. Um, or it could be a flash of someone's torch. They're going to get out of there. They don't know what it is. They don't know how close it is. They're going to go. So it's so many things. They're so picky and so protective. Um, it's sometimes they'll come up on the same beach in the night three times before they decide to lay on that particular spot. Three times per night. Interesting. Yeah. So that's potentially why we sometimes see tracks without any attempts. So she's just scouting it out. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you can tell that it's the same female because, um, you know, they get barnacles all over them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get them on their plastrons, so on their underside. And when she's dragging herself up the beach, those barnacles are going to stay in that place. So they're kind of like uh, a personal identification. She has like got her own imprint right there. Mm -hmm. So you can tell if it's the same female or not. Or like we had once um, a three-legged turtle. Um, she left very obvious um, tracks for us. Oh, wow. Three-legged and she was still happily swimming in the ocean and clearly laying eggs. And did that, did she come back um, in another season? Yeah. Do you know of? Um, well, they think that they might have seen one before. They didn't get, the tracks were a couple of days old. Some beaches where they didn't get a lot of nesting, they check every other day or every three days. But yeah, this season that I'm talking about, she came up several times. She was super picky. I don't know if she felt more vulnerable because she wasn't born with three legs. You could see that one of her flippers became a stump, probably because of a boat incident. But mm -hmm. she managed to heal all right. Um, or maybe she got bitten by something. And yeah, so she managed. She's a survivor. She's still laying. She was really mature. She was absolutely massive. That's the one um, in my profile picture. That oh, I yeah. Over to we're going to have um, all these photos on the website, of course, um, so you guys have to check it out. I got to name her Peggy as well. I thought it was <laughs> cute. <laughs> I thought it was cute and apt. <laughs> that is very cute. Um, so once, which, which flipper was it? The front one or the back one? Um, just the back one. So the front one mm -hmm. controls like how fast she is and the back mm -hmm. one's just kind of like rudders the direction. So she can kind of last without those, but it makes it harder for her to dig. So we actually had an experienced leader with us and he helped her to dig. Um, they kind of go into a trance when they're nesting. Um, so he was able to get really close and scoop his hand really subtly behind her and help her. He was just mirroring the other leg mm -hmm. um, because we thought that might be why she attempted so many times, but didn't actually get around to it. And we want to make sure that they do nest because if they don't lay those eggs, those eggs get just cast off into mm -hmm. sea. She can't help it. She's been holding those eggs in for so long. And if they don't get to um, nest or lay them properly, maybe because they're disturbed by tourists or light or maybe she has three legs, um, mm -hmm. then, yeah, they just get cast off into sea. And those eggs obviously have zero chance of hatching. So... She got a little bit of help that night. Um, and amazingly, remember how tiny their brain is? She mm -hmm. knows exactly how many eggs she has and she will dig the hole to the right dimensions for those eggs. Um, we still don't know how, that, how she does that. 
how many eggs do loggerheads typically have? So the ones in the Mediterranean, um, they're so much smaller. Typically, um, 88, we'll say 80 to 100 though, very common. But I know that the Atlantics can lay a lot more. It's definitely upwards of 100 eggs and they'll lay two to three times in that nesting season as well. Oh, wow. So that's a lot. Um, it gives them, gives the whole population a much better chance as well, because like we know, one in 1000 hatchlings will get to sexual maturity. So they don't have a beautiful chance of making it to adulthood. No, they don't. <laughs> well, it's no surprise when you see how little and helpless they are um, on their first like scamper down the beach. <laughs> it's crazy. In the Mediterranean, they don't actually have a lot of natural predators. Um, they have seals and they're quite rare there. So that's pretty much it. I mean, the occasional bird or scavenger, but they have a fairly good chance. The biggest influence they have are the humans there. So if they can get away from the humans, then they have a good chance. Yeah, but humans have been quite the <laughs> biggest predator of just about every marine species. But I think hopefully we're starting to realize it. Hopefully we're starting to instigate some change. People are realizing how much we need this planet and how much we've done to it. So fingers crossed, things are gonna happen on the up now. Yeah, well, we do know that from the protection of turtles, their numbers have been increasing, which is very good news. Amazing. So, okay, we have the, the mum has laid the eggs that she knows exactly how many into a hole perfectly proportioned to uh, her species and the requirements of her eggs. Uh, how long do they stay in the sand uh, and what happens next? So roughly, again, this is in the Mediterranean, they stayed in there for about 55 days. We allow 70 days before we give the nest a look at because after 70 days, um, we've had zero hatchings after 70 days. So we know it's safe to go in there. So 55 days. And their gender or sex is actually determined by the temperature. <laughs> so if the sand is above 29 degrees, um, we're gonna get a female. And under that, we're going to get a male. And I'll come back to that later, why um, we might face some more challenges with that. But so imagine if this nest was fully successful, which we had once before all eggs hatched. It was the best thing ever, like 80 eggs just hatched. Oh, wow. um, imagine all of that scrambling, like they're fighting to get to the top. Turtles can be alive in their nests for about three days till they get to the top. They have so much energy from that yolk and they have about seven days to get to their feeding ground. They're hiding some seagrass, um, which is good for camouflage and for eating, but I get ahead of myself. <laughs> it takes about three days for them to get out of the nest. And they're gonna scramble up. They're actually being helped by their brothers and sisters. Um, they're all kind of scraping sand away and they can breathe under the sand, which is just, amazing if you just think how tiny their noses are and how tiny the sand is they're still able to breathe um so yeah so they get up and if they need any help then we can give them some help sometimes on night shifts they need help but typically they get up and the female has nested far away enough from the sea for those hatchlings to imprint on the area so that's about 12 meters 
those hatchlings are going to scramble up and they're take a big deep breath they know what's coming and 12 meters they've got to go to the sea they're going to imprint on that not that specific beach but a couple of kilometers within that beach um and off they go um they've got a huge journey ahead of them sometimes they take a bit of a battering by the waves but they eventually get there and then they're directed by the current so they know that they need to swim against the tide against the current and that's how they're going to get to their first um, foraging area. And they're going to stay there for a couple of months, stay nice and strong. Um, and then hopefully they'll make their way to the real feeding grounds where all of the mature adults are. also like to say thank you to Muddy Body for sponsoring this episode. They're an incredible female hygiene brand which provide underwear or swimsuits as an alternative to single-use period products. So they have absolutely changed my life every single month. I now don't have to worry about any leaks or any discomfort because they are so comfortable, sustainably made, and they minimize the waste going into the landfill. So make sure to head on to Muddy Body and get yourself a discount with Vegan Cat. 10 for 10% 10 discount on your first purchase. So I've I've heard that there are a couple of lost years for sea turtles, kind of in between them being these tiny little adorable flapping creatures. I just can't get over how sweet they are when they come out of the eggs. I know, I think it's the giant eyes and the giant flippers that just make them extra cute. Oh my goodness. And for anyone who's not seen this in real life, they are so fast. Like, crazy, isn't it? The documentaries do not do this justice because they slow it down. They put it in slow motion so you can really see what's happening. But these turtles, like, they run. <laughs> They're just sprinting down that beach, flapping their little flippers so furiously. It's, it's the funniest and cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I always think it looks like someone's wound up like a clockwork mechanism in them, you know, and they're just like going like crazy because they've been wound up so quickly. That's exactly what it looks like. Just a little. I love that so much. So between the size and then when they're kind of, I don't know, like dinner, dinner plate shape, what, how, yeah. what, where are they during that time? Do we know? So that's that's such a mystery to us because we can't put anything like satellite trackers on their back because they're growing at such an insane rate that one, we don't want to weigh them down and two, they're just going to lose that very soon anyway. So it's not going to give us any useful information. Plus but one out of a thousand actually survives. So that'd be an expensive yeah. project. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really would. And how do you know that one of those in, um, 1000 are going to be in your group? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we think that they are finding these glorious paradises under the sea that are safe havens. Maybe we don't know about them because, you know, there's loads of places where we've just found, like literally just in the last couple of years, found places where whale sharks and dolphins and whales um, go to have their offspring. And we didn't know that before because they stay so under the radar. So. Mm -hmm. I like an air of mystery. I think maybe that's <clears throat> how they're going to survive. Maybe we don't need to find this out. <clears throat> I don't know if that's too silly as a scientist to be like. Well, it's probably know, safer for them. them. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so since, since their chances of reaching maturity, uh, sexual maturity are so low, what, what are the dangers out there facing? Of course, as such a small little creature, we have, you know, the natural way of the world where, you know, when you're that small, there's a lot of birds who are trying to get you on your dash to the ocean or then just about any bigger fish, I think, because <laughs> they're snack size. Uh, but what else is um, endangering turtles? So I'm going to talk about the ones that have come into contact most. And we've seen, we do some harbour patrols. So we check out for their turtle behaviours and their safety, you know, if we need to rescue any. But we've mm -hmm. found a lot of kind of teenager turtles that are just about to reach sexual maturity, or they have, and they're very early on. So they're in their 20s to 30s. Mm -hmm. And in harbours, there are so many boats and there are so many fishermen and there are so many tourists. Um, a lot of local turtles, we have one in particular in Catalonia called Barb. She doesn't go to any other feeding areas like most turtles do. She goes and nests on Sikinthos and then she comes and spends the rest of her time in Catalonia. Mm -hmm. um, she is very territorial over a couple of fishing boats because she knows she's going to get that free food. <laughs> it's not in it's not in her natural diet though. They eat jellyfish and seagrass and mussels, but she's getting like squid and fish that are very fatty and high in cholesterol. So one, she's attracted to boats. She's partially blue because she has so much boat paint on her from collisions, but luckily no serious injuries. <laughs> um, that's how you know it's Barb if you ever go there. But um, fishermen are giving or selling these bycatch to tourists to feed to the turtles and I think there's been like a few clipped fingers they are very very sharp those beaks you do not want to get near a turtle and it makes them even more aggressive Barb is actually so overweight she's going to need cholesterol checks maybe this year they're figuring out how to do that if there's um, overweight sea turtles seriously what <laughs> what can yeah. humans not overfeed <laughs> <laughs> Cats, fat dogs, fat sea turtles. Yeah. Um, and their bodies don't expand for fat. So you can just see her fat kind of like bulging out of the space where her flippers come out. So apart from the random bits of fishing, which we're trying to discourage nicely, um, but it's some extra money for fishermen. So we don't want to get into a bad relationship. We're just slowly educating locals mm -hmm. into why we don't want this. The tourists love throwing in bread and as you know there's no bakeries under the sea that would be very soggy yeah um <laughs> humans love giving animals bread like ducks sea animals and everyone in general i don't know like where this came from that that was a good idea you know like i remember even as a kid it was like no 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 you don't want to feed the ducks something bad for them like cookies no 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 feed them bread and we were like oh that yeah. makes sense <laughs> Maybe people thought because it was like, maybe once upon a time it was like whole grain, so it had seeds in it. Seeds are good for ducks. Um, still not good for turtles, but <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know what that is. As a race, as a human race, we need to get out of this obsession <laughs> with bread. stop things. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just let them feed themselves. Um, one major thing as well, I don't know if you've seen it ever, but Tourism on beaches in general mm -hmm. has become quite tricky. So 
our survey has happened. We get up at 5am. We need to be on those beaches latest. Did I say am? Am, I yeah. hope I said. 5am, <laughs> nice and early in the 5 morning. 5am. <laughs> we need to be on those beaches before 6am because the people that own those beaches are getting ready for the tourists. Mm-hmm. And that's where all their money comes in. That's how those beaches get famous. But what they like to do to make their beaches look pretty and because they have this fear of being shut down if there's turtles nesting on that beach um which wouldn't happen they like to rake over these beach bar owners like to rake over the sand to make it look gorgeous mm-hmm. also it erases any turtle tracks so if any hatchlings have gone out the wrong way because there's been light pollution and they've gone to the back of the beach we can't help those hatchlings like they still have a good chance if we can get them out to sea in the morning um we can help them so it's a bit harder and we don't know if there's any new nests like if a female has hauled herself up she spent hours digging and laying this nest and then someone's just raked over it um we can't protect that imagine if a kid with a bucket and spade just started digging or someone drove over that um i don't know a solution to that though apart from being really respectful of protected beaches but that's how people earn some of their money so Tourism is pretty hard to control because it makes islands thrive, but also it really damages turtle populations. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've seen all the um, reports now that due to the quarantines and beach closures that there have been a lot more uh, turtles hatching. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? What a weird time that we're in. Very um, weird. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll look up back on this and be like how amazing is that maybe we should mirror that natural beauty that we've just left maybe we need to find different beaches or maybe we need to stop beach parties at mm-hmm. 8pm or something and party at home but um, obviously our next one is plastic mm-hmm. so sometimes you see these tiny hatchlings like fighting their way through nerdles and broken bits of plastic you said didn't you, that you'd seen them trying to battle over flip-flops? Yeah. Um, And that's so hard, but what we can do, we can do so much for this. We can go and do beach litter picks. We can choose to get rid of plastic. Maybe not completely, but at least disposable plastic and things that we're not going to use a lot. Like maybe if you just got those cheap flip-flops just for a day, that's something you need to rethink about how much we can throw these items away. Nerdles obviously like the hardest because we need to sift through the sand to get those and we need to sift deep. Um, in Catalonia a couple of years ago now there was a ship that I don't know if it had an accident or I don't know how the nerdles got off but there were tons literally tons and tons of nerdles thrown over sea and we're still picking them up years later. They're just so tiny they just get everywhere um, what, what is that? Um, sometimes... Noodle? Noodle? Ah, a nerdle. Sorry, noodle? I'm just like going on about plastic like a nerd. So, <laughs> nerdles. <laughs> nerdles are these tiny plastic balls, and everyone's probably seen them but probably not realized. They look like toy pellets or um, kind of like, you know, the balls you get in bean bags, but they're plastic. Oh, yeah. They can be white, they can be black, they can be see through. And that's how most plastic items start off, as these tiny balls of plastic. And they get shipped to where they need to be. They get melted down in moulds. And then that's the product that you're going to buy. 
So that's what a nurdle is. That's the start of plastic's life. Tiny, tiny little ball, honestly, like a couple of millimeters across. And there can be thousands of them in a turtle nest. So sometimes they're going to hit plastic before they hit sand. That's so and sad. It's crazy. Come on, humans. Let's do something about it. Let's get our sieves. Let's go and sit in the sun safely. And <laughs> let's go and sieve the beaches. Imagine. <laughs> Maybe we can make a national holiday, a national plastic sifting holiday. I think it's going to become the norm. I mean, it's already becoming the norm to do plastic cleanups and everything. I mean, <laughs> definitely when I was a kid, I never thought, like, when I grow up, I'm going to collect garbage. <laughs> like, that was just not one of the things I'd be doing as, like, an environmentalist and ocean lover. Like, it's, That is so true. Me neither. I never sat there... Um, you know, on my leavers day of first school, I was never like, I'm going to save the seas by collecting up rubbish. But if you ever want to collect some rubbish, you'd be saving a life. Like, yeah. we once had this turtle that had a fishing net and a fishing line in her throat. Um, and luckily we got them out. They weren't that deep, but there was a hook at the end. It could have been a totally different story, but she was okay. They didn't need... I think it was a she, it could have been a he. I think they were quite young, so the tail couldn't really tell us. But yeah, they didn't need an operation or anything, which is amazing. And she was released later that day, but it's not always like that. But without getting too <clears throat> down in the dumps, there is change. We can totally, totally change. We can totally help the turtles. I hope so, because they're absolutely incredible creatures and have been around for a lot longer than humans. <laughs> yeah. And also, if turtles were wiped out, no matter of like whichever seven sea turtle species, if that went, part of the ecosystem that they're involved in would collapse. There are so many species that rely on these turtles, which means turtles are something called a keystone species. Mm -hmm. So many rely on them. They're like a, a swimming reef. They're like a mobile reef. They have algae and barnacles. Um, some fish feed off them. Also, when they lay their eggs <clears throat> and they nest, um, they're really helping dune vegetation. This sounds really strange because I'm not getting overly sad about the eggs that don't make it, mm -hmm. but those eggs go on to feed the dune vegetation and that makes these beaches so much stronger so that we have less of that um, beach getting washed away with storms so these turtles do so much um, they feed other animals unfortunately but yeah they're just involved so much in that ecosystem if they get taken out that ecosystem is going to collapse if you did that with humans the ecosystems would thrive <laughs> but yeah yeah I don't I don't think we can be considered a keystone species anywhere <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're just so important. They're so amazing. If you've never seen a video of them hatch or um, flip, 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 flip to the sea or swim, my favorite bit, um, I'd have to put it into two bits, either a hatchling popping its head out of the sand for the first time. Aww. Love that. And they have like sandy eyes because their eyes are wet. Or um, they take their first breath after a uh, like 10, 20 seconds under the sea. So we always stand at the edge of the water and wait for them to take their first breath. And it's just a little head bopping up. It's so, so lovely. 
was very Have cute. you got a favorite favorite turtle story? I honestly narrow it down now. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had way too many cool turtle experiences, but one of my favorites is one which just shows how these beautiful graceful creatures can also be clumsy. And it was this turtle I was just diving with in Comoros and it was a pretty strong current and it was a little green turtle who put her head down to munch on some uh, coral or algae and mm -hmm. as it put its head down the current was just too strong and it flipped this turtle over so underwater <laughs> it like fully did a flip because of the current and then for a couple of seconds, it just looked so confused, like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> and I was laughing underwater. And I was like, well, I'm glad to see I'm not the only, you know, like, creature underwater, which has gotten uh, swept by the current. So usually they're yeah. so graceful, and they look like they know exactly what's going on. But in this moment, um, yeah, it was like, turtles, they're just like us, kind of. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, I wish I'd seen that. That's so cool. Yeah, no, they're sweet. As, I've never as seen some, a turtle do that. <laughs> well, I've that only ever seen them be graceful. Exactly. So that's why I really, really like that. Um, as someone who, you know, loves turtles and has had the opportunity to work with them so many times, um, what would you kind of share to other people as one piece of advice that they can do if they want to help the oceans? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I'll try to make it concise, but mm -hmm. guys, get involved, get involved now. Don't wait until you know everything about that species or that ecosystem. Like whatever you do has a huge impact. My partner has a degree in maths and now he's had as much experience as me who studied mm -hmm. marine biology with sea turtles. Um, don't go and get a degree. Don't be an aquarium mermaid. I mean, do if you want, but that's not <laughs> the only way to help. <laughs> Um, you can be an everyday conservationist and I'm going to do a little shout out to myself, but that's what I try and encourage people to do. I try and encourage everyone to be an everyday conservationist. You can share your space with nature. You can go and do a litter pick. Um, and I've got some tips like that on my Instagram at a couple of conservationists. Um, there's information on there on how to volunteer. Like you don't have to dedicate six months in South America to be incredible like go and do a couple weeks here and a month there um save up don't save up it doesn't have to be expensive do beach cleanups switch plastic but yeah be an everyday conservationist there's so many people I don't know who originally quoted it but everyone doing something imperfectly is better than a few people doing it perfectly so just trust that you can have an amazing impact and that you don't have to wait to know everything to do it just go for it <clears throat> i think that's very very well put becky thank you so much <laughs> for joining us here today uh, i hope yeah. that people can go over and get involved in greece uh, all all the links and everything are going to be on the website so make sure um so yeah let let people know uh about the <laughs> the loggerheads in greece and what else they can do to yeah, get involved thank, thank you, you so much becky thank you